How about the infamous kettle clogger? I cleaned out the kettle for that beer and it took a long, long time because of the massive hop cone. That night, I woke up out of my sleep because we were trying to think of a name and I basically, I said to myself, what are we gonna name that kettle clogging son of a bitch? And I told Mike, I said, Mike, your beer gave me nightmares last night. And I told him that and he said, that's a good name. So we, we stuck with the name. Welcome back to the Tap Takeover Podcast, powered by Shepherd Express. Ladies and gentlemen, all of our listeners, to my fellow podcasters, I must say this may have been the pinnacle of my podcasting experience. I, I cannot wait to tell you guys about my trip to Decor, Iowa, to buy the Morning Delight. I was fortunate enough to have won the lottery, got a, to experience the release party, the Morning Delight release party, got to experience Decor, Iowa, a fantastic little town. You know what this reminds me of a little bit, guys, is uh, if you go all the way back to our third episode, Episode, the uh, the Michigan beercation. This is a little bit of that. I took a little beercation out to Iowa. And the best part is, we just cracked into one of the bottles that I was able to buy. Guys, give me your first impressions of the highly sought after Morning Delight from Toppling Goliath. It's intense, man. It really is intense. Right away, the smell is you get the syrup. For sure. But when you taste it, man, that coffee just hits you. It's smooth. I mean, it's it's great. I, I see why you, this is like one of your favorites. And you know, the best part about the syrup, uh, Clark uh, Louie, the owner of Toplin Goliath, was telling me when I sat down with him and Mike, Mike Sabo, uh, the, the head brewer, he was telling me that it's actually a family farm uh, recipe on the, the maple syrup. It's it's a little bit smoky. It's got a little uh, mesquite mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little bit different than any other maple syrup that you're ever going to try. Real, a real highlight of the interview. Yeah, the uh, maple syrup is huge on the nose. I mean, but it's not overpowering. It's not a sickly sweet smell. You get the like good sense of the smoky maple syrup in the nose and and the coffee lingers. I mean, I'm getting well after I've drunk it, the coffee flavor just lingering on my tongue. And it's a great color as well. It does. I think that is through the viscosity of the coffee just oh, this whole stout just lays on your tongue and soaks in. And you, like you said, the you get the smoky maple syrup from the family recipe. Definitely. Before we get into your other adventures there and all the all the cool stuff you experience, I really want to talk about this beer. I mean, tell us about the packaging. I mean, it really has this cool wax um, and it had a stamp on top. I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about this and the process of actually getting the ticket? You said it was a lottery. How many bottles are actually offered there? Uh, so it's it is a limited run. The lottery is all online. So I mean, people from all over the country are able to enter into this lottery. I was fortunate to have won on my very first try. I don't think that happens for everybody. But a lot of people in Decor, Iowa, you know, they're able to find a way. <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a way. Getting into uh, Toppling Goliath to pick up this beer. And one of the best parts about this year's release is if you went to uh, the lottery, you, you showed up at a specific time and were able to pick up your four-pack. It had four 12-ounce bottles of the Morning Delight and two pieces of glassware. Then you were also able to get a, a, a third piece of glassware, which was a small, it, it, kind of a glass coffee cup is the way I could describe it. And that was a 1.75-ounce uh, 
Dan's espresso cup. So that that's exactly the pour that you got of the Morning Delight when you buy your four pack. And so you got to experience the beer and then you got to buy your four pack and then you could go inside and, you know, buy all sorts of other beers that they have and, you know, all sorts of different swag and t-shirts and that sort of thing. A fantastic time. So how was the actual party? And don't they have some pretty epic uh, pre-party tastings around town the night before? They absolutely do. There's Morning Delight typically on tap at almost every bar, you know, different, uh, different variations on how they're releasing it. Some release half the night before, some release, you know, half the day of and, and that sort of variation. So you can find the stuff all over. It's just, you got to be there for the, the bottle shares. I mean, those, those things are epic. Um, I, I'm talking about assassin on tap. I'm talking about people with bottles of SR 71 and the highly collectible beers. And uh, Jesus, I want to get to your question. So you asked about the actual uh, production of the morning delight, and that's a story in and of itself. I was able to go to a kind of a private, um, private tour of the new facility with with Clark Louie the next day. He was just leading a big group of hardcore, you know, Toppling Goliath fans around. And he told us that the Morning Delight bottles at a very specific 36 degrees, and that's in order to protect the the viscosity of the liquid. Uh, It's inspected by hand for its fill limit. It's also hand-dipped in wax and then stamped against counterfeiters because this stuff trades at a very, very high price, well over $100 per bottle, and it's boxed individually by the staff. Now, all of that, it increases the production cost, but I think it also increases the production value. I mean, when you see pictures of this four-pack, it really is a, a beautiful thing to behold. Yeah, by no means. It's not an inexpensive beer. However, I think it's one of these beers that's starting to elevate the whole style. The amount of flavor profiles that you get in this, it's well worth the cost. And there are a lot of people showing up. How were the crowds? Oh, it was a huge crowd. I got there uh, probably probably an hour before my time slot. The line was already starting to go around the block. Uh, by the time my time slot actually entered, the line was well down the block. In fact, it was about two blocks down from down from around the block. <laughs> so a lot of people showed up, and you know what's really fun is I was able to uh, get a few interviews with some people who came from pretty far away to come get this bottle. It's it's highly sought after all over the country, and that's one of the really fun parts is you get to meet a lot of big time beer uh, collectors and, and connoisseurs of, of these big huge stouts. Now they've always not been in the 12 ounce bottles is that right? That's right uh, the very first run was a, a it was a full run at 300 bottles so not many <laughs> at all for the very first time out and three years ago it was uh, it was produced in the 12 ounce bottles last year they went to the 22 ounces and then this year they went back to the 12 ounces so it's you know there's some aesthetic decisions they're making there's some production decisions that they're making and they're always kind of trying to figure that out i'm interested to see where it goes once they get into the new facility it'll be interesting to see how much they expand to in the new facility the bigger range that they'll be able to supply so hopefully something like morning delight will eventually see distribution we can only hope you know we we can only hope i i still feel like they're going to make these these big bold stouts uh small productions just because it's it's really fun to do it that way the more small batch I mean, as big as the new facility is going to get, I, they talked about how they, 
develop the facility designs themselves based off of plans from different breweries which they visited and it actually took 19 drawings to get it right the really fun part is that the largest tank for their hoppy beers is only 200 barrels with the size of the production facility they could have gone way bigger but they find that the the 200 barrels it may not be as efficient but it hits the sweet spot that they're looking for so did you find out are they still going to be outsourcing after they move into the new uh, brewing facility well i'll let uh, uh clark and mike talk about that but it sounds as though most of that is going to be coming back in-house which is very exciting do you have any other stories of the other beers i i'm a big fan of x hops gold did you guys talk about anything well, they else? they talked about the x hop series and i i will definitely let them tell it because they've got some breaking news on the new x hops but uh, one thing that i found really interesting is that the x hops gold the one that you're talking about was actually originally the black and gold and it was made for the iowa hawkeyes so you know so showing some local pride for uh for the local uh, college team. Yeah, I don't think most people realize that Toppling Goliath is out of Iowa. It's out of Decorah, Iowa, right? Although they do have two breweries in town, so <laughs> they're able to uh, take a small town and, and accommodate two separate breweries, Pulpit Rock Brewery and Toppling Goliath. Well, I, I think, guys, this is a perfect time talking about the, the special release to uh, talk about some, some of the other folks who came out to the release. I was lucky enough to get some of these interviews with some folks standing in line and talk about how far away they had come for the, uh, for the morning delight. So let's, uh, let's get into the interviews. I'm Alex here from the Tap Takeover Podcast, and I'm at Toppling Goliath Brewery for the Morning Delight release today, and I'm here with... CJ. And uh, CJ, how far did you come today for the Morning Delight? About 10 hours. Wow, so where uh, where are you from? Uh, from Central Kentucky. Okay, yeah, that's that's quite a ways. So did you guys drive through the night, or were you here for some of the festivities last night? Uh, we drove halfway uh, yesterday, stayed in Bloomington, and we drove five hours this morning. Okay. Are you planning on staying in town and uh, checking out some of the Morning delight on tap at some of the different locations i think we're still just trying to decide that they said that they were going to release something special about 4:30 here so we'd like to stick around and see what they have awesome and uh so what what brings you out 10 hours driving all the way to decor iowa for for a beer what uh what brings you here pretty much the hype and it's one of those white whales that you always want to try as you know a beer enthusiast you know morning delights known to just be fantastic and just to get a chance to try it, it's worth the drive oh, absolutely this is my first time in decor have, have you been in town before no never well i appreciate you uh, speaking with me man appreciate it that's no problem appreciate you interviewing me All right, I'm Alex here from the Tap Takeover Podcast at the Morning Delight release party. It's going to be released in about a half hour, and I'm speaking with... Juan. Adam. Austin. All right, so guys, where are you guys coming from, and how far did you have to drive today? Uh, I came up from Kansas City, so probably about six-hour drive. Uh, Milwaukee, it's about four hours. Down from La Crosse, about an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, so some close, some far. Yeah, uh, Kansas City, that's that's a ways. <laughs> so what uh, what brings you guys so far out just for just for a simple beer? Uh, just the rarity and... Uh, I mean, it's a good beer, so I mean, if you get the chance to buy one, you know, you can't turn it down. You know, you're kind of like a handful of selected people that's able to buy it, so if you can get it, you better get it, so. Well, I fell in love with TG, you know, a couple years ago, so I heard about this beer. It's very rare, so had to had to put my name in the drawing and get selected, so. We uh, finally got selected for a first time for one of these raffles, and so I got up at 2.30 in the morning to call in sick at work, and now I'm here. <laughs> awesome. Are you guys staying?
being in town tonight? Are you guys checking out some of the festivities in Decorah? Checking out uh, some of the beer on tap other places? Uh, yeah, I'll be here tonight. Probably go to some bottle shares. Um, I know CNC's got a thing going on, so I'll probably stop by there. Uh, yeah, going to basically hang out and drink a lot of beer tonight and head home in the morning. So Yeah, I'm taking off after this, but I'll probably stop at a few uh, restaurants, see what they have on tap. Yeah, I think we're going to see what pulpit has and then get out of town and get home before the Packers start. Awesome. Well, thanks, thanks so much, guys, for uh, talking with me, and uh, enjoy. Enjoy today. Wow, awesome interviews, Alex. Uh, this is like the field of dreams of beers, right? If you brew it, they will come, right? Oh, I can't yeah. believe they came from all over. Oh, they came. <laughs> wow, that was uh, came. intense. I can't believe it. So let's continue our tasting. What do we got now, Alex? Uh, so this was a, another big release that exact same weekend. Uh, this is the Supa Sumo. So uh, it's a Citra and Mosaic hopped double IPA. Huge flavors of pineapple and orange. Uh, super hazy. I mean, this is this is just hop juice in a glass. Yeah. What, what do you guys think of this? Hazy, one? juicy. Uh, the description says pineapple. I don't. I don't get that. I, I kind of get the pineapple on the back end. Yeah. Yeah, it's got that kind of a little tartness. You know the sourness from a pineapple. Uh, the citra is definitely coming through. Yeah, that's for what me I get. Yeah. A lot of citra. I was say I get the pineapple. The pineapple and the orange. It's it's like a nice uh, like uh, like a fruit punch, <laughs> heavy on the pineapple and the orange for me. I don't know. I'm I'm a huge fan of this beer. I'm a huge fan of this brewery. I, I was able to spend a little bit of time, like I said, with uh, with Clark Louie on that uh, that private uh, tour of the new facility. So I think with our tasting, one of the their biggest beers that we actually left off was the pseudo Sioux. We have tried that where did that name come from it was a variation of a different beer wasn't it the name it was actually a variation on a, a beer that they've been doing called a tsunami the original story behind it is that mike came to uh, clark and said hey i'd like to do something new or, or something kind of a variation and you know he's like can i can i use the same recipe and, and clark was like dude just make a recipe like and like go out there make make something crazy so he did he took the tsunami which was already really popular and i uh, did a little bit of a variation on it which became even more popular and uh, the original name on that was the pseudo tsu pseudo tsu but people in iowa were having some uh pronunciation troubles and so instead of having people come in and order a pseudo to sue they they decided to just shorten it to sue sue and so that's where the original pseudo sue came from the name anyway um and then you know different variations on that the uh, the double dry hop pseudo sue which is actually one of my favorites and the uh, the king sue which you know is rarely on the the beer shelves even once it's been in it's it's rarely there it's gone quickly all right, one of the main things about this beer is obviously the haziness. Uh, you, you gave a little story before. Can you tell the listeners now about the haziness? Oh, absolutely. The, so this was a really fun story. Clark was telling us that basically they used to do the New England style early on. It was a NE style. It was a Northeast Iowa style. <laughs> they just dropped the Iowa and it became the NE style. People complained at first when they started brewing it. They said it's it's not clear. It's not a clear beer like we're used to seeing. And so they, they took that into account and said, okay, well, we got to brew for our, our clientele. So they uh, they started putting a filtration system on and started filtering it out. It became a very clear beer. And then people came to the brewery and said, what's wrong with the beer? It's not hazy anymore. <laughs> so they ended up having to, not having to, but they ended up going back to uh, their original their original production, which was, you know, just very big, hazy beers. And they've been doing it ever since. 
Now, Alex, we're all about breaking news here at the Tap Takeover podcast. Was there any other insider information you were able to glean? Well, I'll tell you what. Before we get into the interview, which uh, is enough breaking news in and of <laughs> itself, uh, there's going to be a lot of breaking news in this interview. Before we get into that, let's just talk about something that came up on this tour. Somebody asked about the Morning Latte. Uh, not a lot of people know about this. This was a brewery-only release. It was actually a beer that they made from the spent wort of the Morning Delight, which still had, you know, as big as this beer is, uh, the wart still had a lot of flavor to it. It was very low ABV, and they only made it once, but it may be coming back because it's one of Clark's absolute favorites, and he compared it somewhat to the, uh, the the Boulder Shake, if you've ever had that, or even the Wisconsin Brewing Company Chocolate Lab Porter. It's a very, very chocolatey, very low ABV. It sounds like a fantastic beer, and a number of people on the tour asked about it. Oh, wow. So yeah, that'll, that'll be some fun stuff that uh, may be coming out uh, hopefully sometime soon but i think it's time to just let uh, let the men speak for themselves huh guys yeah let's, hear it. let's yeah, do it let's, go. Right, let's get into the interview Welcome back to the Tap Takeover Podcast. This is Alex sitting down at the Morning Delight release at Top and Goliath Brewery. I'm sitting down with owner Clark Louie and brewmaster Mike Sabo. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great. Hi, everybody. This is Clark. Hey, this is Mike. We're having a wonderful and very busy day here at the Morning Delight release. Absolutely. Toplin Goliath, you guys have been going very strong since 2009, and then Mike, you came along in 2010 and kind of added the Stout program. So I'd like to talk to you guys about kind of the early days. What uh, what got you guys into craft brewing? What uh, what was kind of that that gateway beer for you guys? Well, for me, I traveled the country in a previous life as a supplier to the beverage industry, so I got a chance to try a lot of beers. One beer that always jumps into my mind that I loved was Dale's Pale Ale. It was a really great beer, and let's face it, anyone from Northeast Iowa is usually a fan of Spotted Cow and the things that New Glarus is doing over there in New Glarus. So. Me, I, I was part of a exchange program when I was younger and I went over to Germany and that's where I was exposed to different beer styles, Pilsners, Hefeweizens, and from there when I came back then I started trying some of the American style craft beer, pale ales, IPAs, big stouts. So tell me about the name Toppling Goliath, where did that uh, come out of? You know, I'm glad you asked. Toppling Goliath is actually a company my wife and I started as an incorporated company in 2002. And that was a company that helped small entrepreneurs get their business off the ground. It would help them write marketing plans, obtain financing, do grant writing, and so forth. In other words, help people overcome obstacles that they weren't used to. So as that company kind of fizzled out with some other projects I had going, I retained the name and kept the corporation inactive but still a viable corporation. So when we started the brewing operation, we thought instead of spending the money to start a new company, the global consolidation of beer was already a reality, so the name kind of fit and was kind of fun. And for $5, we did a DBA with the state, and Toppling Goliath Brewing Company was born. You know, with with dozens of varied hop varieties, hop-centric beers, double dry hops, you know, imperialized, single hopped. The hop is kind of king at Toppling Goliath. But we're here today for a very special release of the highly sought after Morning Delight. What can you tell us about the stout program, Mike, and what, what you kind of brought to the program here? Well, anytime that we try to attack any particular style of beer, we try to have that fit a particular time 
and experience. And we have some really cold winters here in Iowa, and so we wanted to have some big beers that would really satisfy that type of that type of situation. So something that's why we, we did these big Russian style Imperial Stouts, just a big chewy beer breakfast in a glass you know we we first started out with doing things like like assassin which is our our barrel aged imperial stout and morning delight and kentucky brunch sort of sort of came out of that same tree they're just different branches so it's a lot of fun we we use uh locally sourced maple syrup in the beer it's actually a little bit more special than that but that'll be up to clark if he wants to divulge the uh the full story there and then we we use coffee in the beer and it is a tremendously laborious beer to produce we're, we're running production non-stop for about 47 straight hours and then that beer sits in a tank for we refer to them as, as cycle times so we could have otherwise ran five batches of beer through that tank but just for the maturation and everything we need to do with morning delight it takes up five cycles worth of beer wow wow that's a lot of dedication so uh, clark can you divulge the details on the maple syrup yeah i will i'll, I'll throw that in there my wife's family has a century farm that is a sugar bush so all of the maple syrup is made by her family, and that's the only maple syrup we've ever used. It's a, it's a pretty special. It's always reduced with green hickory wood. The smoke from the wood is always in contact with the syrup, so it gives it a very unique taste, and it, it's, a, it's actually a taste that melds well with Mike's Morning Delight. Yeah, as a, as a person who just tried it for the first time today, I can say it melds perfectly. That, Thank it you. It was a fantastic drink today. What's a, what are your thoughts on the cellar aging process? When you guys put out a beer, do you feel like that's the perfect state of that beer? Or you, do you guys encourage folks to uh, lay it down for a little bit in their cellar? Well, this is a fun question for us to, to dive into. So with, with big barrel-aged beers, We've, we've typically put on the label to not cellar the beer, just because we felt like at the time we blended those batches, of, those batches and barrels together, we thought that beer was perfect, ready to go. Now, after we've been four or five years out since the first batches we've ever released, we just started opening up some 2012 and 2013 bottles this summer that were stored perfectly and to our surprise they've actually gotten better and most beers that we've cellared in the past they just they don't have a tendency to get better they, they at least stay as good but they don't necessarily improve and I think the 2013 assassin we had and the 2013 Kentucky brunch that we tried within the past few months I thought both of those were the best bottles they were amazing they were amazing and I'm gonna throw into something a lot of people get confused about what cellaring is. For the majority of the beers that you're cellaring, the colder and the darker the better. In the basement doesn't cut it. If, if you really want to store that beer perfectly, you'll have it stored under 40 degrees with the bottle upright, unless it's a cork bottle, the bottle upright, because typically most beers have oxygen scrubbing crowns, and you'll keep that beer cold and dark, and that really flattens the trajectory of how that beer is going to age. The colder and the darker, the better. That's a good pro tip for everybody listening. One thing that we like to ask our brewers on the Tap Takeover podcast, you know, if we if we have hypothetical taps and you could take them over and, and kind of tell your brewery story by the beers that you're choosing, if you could choose five of your beers to kind of tell that story, which which five would you guys pick? 
That'd be fun. Let's go back and forth with this. I'll sure. let Mike start first. All right. Am I going to steal the one that you probably want to say? No. <laughs> you can say whatever you want to say. I'd have to lead off with our Dorothy's. That's that's the beer that started this brewery. That's been that's been our backbone. That's been our go-to. It's been really fun sitting down and talking with customers out at bars in all of our distribution areas. Dorothy's, when people sit down and try it, it's just got staying power. People love it. It's an old world style lager. There's a, there's a more fun story behind how that beer came about and how it got the, got the, the brewery started, but I won't dive into all that. <laughs> Maybe we'll save that for another episode. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll go naturally to the beer that put us on the map for my choice in our tap takeover. The easy drinking, everyone loving pseudo Sue. It's to. a phenomenal pale ale. It's juicy. It has just the right amount of alcohol. The bitterness is very subdued. Early in its day, a lot of people would argue that it's an IPA to us, but it's not. It's just a very juicy pale ale. And that's really the beer that I think has helped put us on the map. As Mike said, our Dorothy started the brewery, and Pseudo Sue really put us on the map. I would go back to another classic here that we've constantly been developing and upgrading, and that would be our Golden Nugget IPA. Oh, fantastic. So originally that was that was brewed with a, a good friend of the brewery's homegrown hops. He was growing Nugget at home. Um, over, the, over the course of time, we've stayed true with using Nugget hops in the beer, using Golden Promise malt. But it was really the first legitimate juicy IPA that you could find in this area of the country, especially in this northeast Iowa area. You couldn't you couldn't find any other IPAs and this was finally one that really started a little hop revolution. Next I'm gonna move right into a double IPA. You've gotta have that on tap. The only problem is we've gotta have two <laughs> for this. Right. So my fourth choice is King Sue and Sosis. They are both tremendous representatives of their hop, King Sue the Citra Hop, and Sosis the Mosaic Hop. Yeah, if you're looking for King Sue, you'll probably recognize the empty shelf on the liquor store yes. where it, it had been for about an hour and <laughs> is completely sold out. And we're but, fortunate for that. <laughs> absolutely. So uh, tell me about that evolution of the Pseudo Sue into the Double Dry Hop Pseudo Sue and the King Sue. Where, where did you guys uh, decide to make that departure and kind of expand on that one line? Well, Pseudo Sue was obviously a, a fun beer that, that really, really helped take us to new heights. And then we had started talking about doing a, a Citra Double IPA. Of course, that's a, that's a play on on using using Sue. It's actually it's actually a different beer. It's not just an amplified version of Pseudo Sue, but it's got a lot of the the heart and soul of Pseudo Sue behind the recipe and process used in it. Double Dry Hop Sue. I don't know. I think that one just sounded fun, so we did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and that, that's the great thing about the brewery is when something does sound fun and makes sense, we do it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so uh, if we're going to round out the tap takeover, you got to throw some uh, special release stuff on, get the beer geeks out of, out of bed in the morning. So uh, what, what kind of special release beers would you guys pick for this tap takeover? I think you better start that with a K. Well, it would be, yeah, it would be fun, and it would be easy to, to throw Kentucky Brunch in there. We, we've been very happy with uh, how well that beer has been received. The, the first time we had that on tap, it was actually on tap here at our, at our tap room for over a month. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we had, we had people that, that caught wind of it. They tried it. 
and they kept coming weekend after weekend, but we still had enough that sat on here. And so finally we ended up just bottling the rest of it, said enough of that. We'll just drink it. Mm -hmm. So Kentucky Brunch has been, been a really, a really fun and, and humbling experience. We certainly believed in the beer, but we're just, we just couldn't be more thrilled with how well it's been received by everybody out there. Yeah, the reaction's been immense. So how, tell me, uh, what kind of plans do you guys have for the future? I know that uh, you've got a new facility in the works that should be opening soon. Yes. Um, that's definitely going to give you greater production limits. Is that also going to impact uh, your distribution area at all? Well, that'll help us grow that distribution footprint slowly. And most people have seen that. Some of our neighboring states, Minnesota was very patient. Illinois, very patient. We have a state on our southern border. It'll be the last border state, it's Missouri. So that state is obviously gonna be up next for us. But the main thing is we just move slow with our distribution and grow into it. And uh, what, what kind of production limits uh, have you had and what are you moving into? Well, we've been brewing on a 30-barrel system and we've basically maxed out the production with that, with our fermentation tank. We also have our partnership brewing, which has helped us. With our new brewery, we'll be able to take over most of that brewing in-house and be able to move up to produce around 26 to 30,000 barrels the first year. Um, the facility itself is designed to have the tank farm grow without any further construction and move us up uh, as far as 100,000 barrels a year without any additional construction, just by adding to our tank farm. That, that's incredible. Well, yeah, look for uh, look for more Toppling Goliath near, yes. you know, near your liquor store sometime soon. You know, and the thing about a brewery is, uh, you know, you can't just grow overnight because we're limited by raw materials also. So we are limited by the hops we can get. So we've got to be thinking, all right, are we going to grow by 10,000 barrels next year? If we are, we're going to need to contract 10,000 barrels worth of hops if they're all going to be hoppy beers. So, and that's something that we're also working with. Uh, Mike has been creating some new recipes that are great beers without having to be uh, on the hook for hop contracts. Any, uh, any new hoppy beers on the horizon? I know the, uh, the Super Sumo has just come out recently. That's kind of a new one for you guys. Always. Any, uh, any new ones that uh, we can kind of give some breaking news to our listeners? Yeah, so there's going to be a fun one that'll be coming up soon, and that'll be the, the next in the line of the X-Hop series. That'll be X-Hop's Maroon. So Maroon's got a little bit of a, a pink vibe to it, and we had, a, we had a lot of people that were fans of the X-Hop's pink, and what this new one is, it's going to be a new yeast strain that we're going to be trying out, and it's a combination of some really fun experimental hops. Clark first put his, put his nose on these hops uh, a year ago. They've got a little bit of a orange vanilla creamsicle characteristic to those. We're going to pair that with some of our, our favorite hops and see how that one goes. And then we're also going to have an increase in our taproom only hoppy beers. You're going, to, you're going to see that pop up again. And all this is going to be happening within the next month or so. We're going to be, we're going to be popping out some of these beers. That's how about the infamous kettle clogger? Kettle clogger is going to be coming up too. That's, that's, uh, that one hasn't been made for a long time. That one has a has a fun origin to it as well. And is a fantastic beer. So just a quick story on that beer. Yeah, My wife and I took a much needed vacation and Mike gave us a call with an idea for a new beer. It involved all the hops in inventory and some. We came home, tried the beer. I think it was one of the best hoppy beers I've ever had in my life. It was just amazing. It was shortly after that that Mike was handed over the reins to production. And 
given the world as, as his playground to go find all the hops he wanted. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. The, the ability to just turn your brewers loose, you know, that that's pretty fantastic. It, the name was fun, too. The name came, was an interesting name because um, we were trying to name the beer, and he brewed the beer in our tin barrel brew house once. And because I like to help, when it came time to clean it out, I cleaned out the kettle for that beer, and it took a long, long time because of the massive hop cone. That night, I woke up out of my sleep because we were trying to think of a name, and I basically I said to myself, what are we going to name that kettle clogging son of a bitch? <laughs> and I told Mike, I said, Mike, your beer gave me nightmares last night. And I told him that, and he said, that's a good name. Yeah. So we, we stuck with the name. I love it. Yeah, that'll be a fun one to see when it comes out. So uh, tell me about the morning delight. Uh, you guys have kind, kind of back and forth between the... Uh, the 22-ounce bombers and the 12-ounce bottles. Is that due to uh, production decisions, or is that more for the aesthetic of the bottle? You know, we've gone, yeah, we've gone back and forth on that. We first introduced it as a 12-ounce bottle format, and part of the reason for that was to help spread the very small amount of it that we had. And then after after a year or two, two we put out the the promise that we would at some point have Morning Delight available in four packs, which is a very very difficult thing to accomplish. So this year, this year we did that. That's the fulfillment of that promise, and what the future holds. We're going to be careful on any more promises. Yeah. <laughs> you have to imagine over 8,500 bottles, all hand dipped and hand stamped, oh, hand packaged. That's got to be a, a big task, and it really. I just want to commend you guys for the the, the precision that you, your staff has shown today in getting people in, getting people out, getting everybody serviced, all in the matter of you know just one day. Really, Ex- really impressive. Thank you, especially the size of this venue. I appreciate you tipping your hat to our staff, as do we. They they did a phenomenal job. Are you guys ever concerned at all with the uh, the secondary market that happens with some of these bottles? And does that ever does it ever kind of creep into your decision making as far as the the pricing structure goes? Never, never for price, never. No, we just we focus on making beers that oh they certainly have a, a a bit of a hedonistic flair to them. We don't skimp on any ingredients. We we make them what they need to be and. The price that we charge is just what it needs to be. It's, it's fair for us. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that annoys us is people selling our beer before they own it. That's the only thing we think is a no-no. You don't own it yet. It's not for sale yet. We're not going to guarantee you you're going to get it if you're selling it for a profit before you own it. Once you come through our door, shake our hand, purchase the beer and leave, it's yours. Do whatever you want with it. But wait until you own it. That, that seems fair. That absolutely seems fair. So, uh, tell me about the, your production schedule. Is it is it pretty is it pretty consistent, or do you guys vary it depending on the the time of year, the sort of hops that you're getting? I mean, I, there's got to be some stuff that you're doing year round, like the pseudo suing that. But uh, for everything else, is it just kind of as you as you want? It's yeah. We have a few brands that we do consistently throughout the year, and. We brew those in amounts that is appropriate for what our distributors need to help keep the beer fresh out there. Other than that, we brew on a rotational basis. We don't we don't do things in a seasonal type of format. It's always rotational to keep things fresh and exciting. So, any uh, any plans to do any big variations on the uh, the big bold stouts that you've already got? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. Yep. There there will be more of that. So we're excited to get up to our new brewery 
We're, we're excited about the size of the barrel room that we have in there. The barrel room that we're going in is probably takes up 40 to 50 percent of the current building that we're that we're in so we have we have a huge ability to fill up more barrels with the with the brew house that we have and we have room for storing the barrels and storing them in an ideal type of form keeping track of humidity temperature everything that we want to be able to tightly monitor the performance of those barrels nice any uh, any thoughts on ever putting the morning delight into a barrel I know a lot of people have been kind of clamoring for that that's essentially that's what Kentucky brunch Okay. Yes, it is the it is the barrel aged form of morning of the delight. Morning delight. Okay, yep. perfect. So, um, what about uh, a lot of people asked us when we told them that uh, we're going to be interviewing you guys about the uh, the SR seventy one. Any plans to uh, start producing that again, or it was that kind of a one one time deal? So we've actually released SR seventy one two times. The first one was a was a draft only version that we did back in 2013, and then the most recent one was the one that we bottled and wax dipped, and that would have been in March of 2015 that that was released. The way that I would answer this is SR71 is certainly not gone forever. We have a couple other experimental stouts that will be popping up. I don't know if we're ready to release what the what the names of those may or may not be but one thing that we've always used sr-71 for is just like the aircraft that it's named after we're trying to break ground we're trying to be highly experimental with our different techniques and processes that we're applying to those and so everything that we learn out of sr-71 we take that technology and we plug that into what we do with assassin and some of our some of our other stouts yeah so there's a little bit of sr-71 in all all the big stouts yes absolutely i love that yeah and uh one other question i had for you regarded your graphic artist uh who does the the label art for you guys her name is sarah headland sarah headland and uh she's actually the person i talked to who helped uh, set up this interview so thank you sarah for uh for putting me in touch with these guys uh tell me about what what the aesthetic of the beer is i mean for me my my very first can of pseudo sue i plucked it off the shelf because of that metallic dinosaur the metallic t-rex on the on the can how important is that for you guys and for your your branding and your image we feel it's really important to have the overall aesthetic of the beer and the packaging that the beer goes into to have some continuity with the overall experience that we're trying to put out there for anybody who's buying our beer. So when you're picking up a bottle of the beer, it's something that looks cool. It starts it starts to draw you in. It starts to paint a picture of what that beer is going to be like in your glass. And then when you open that bottle and you taste that beer, everything everything delivers. Everything everything feels continuous. There's no there's no off notes there there's no disjointed pieces to that puzzle awesome i think that's uh, that'll pretty much do it for all of the questions i have and we're at that 25 minute mark i know you guys got to get back to it you got another uh, another crowd about to come in just wanted to say thank you guys again for being able to sit down and uh, tell me all about your brewery and hopefully we'll be able to get back down to decor and uh, speak with you guys again. Boy, we hope so it'd be fun to have you out at our new facility when we open absolutely give you a tour and let you tell the public what you think of it okay so Sounds good. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Wow, Alex, what what a great interview. You did a fantastic job with Clark and Mike. 
and you're, you're pointing questions and the limited time you had. Tell us tell us about the crowd nights, because there seemed to be a significant amount of that. How big was that party? Well, I'll tell you what, people are excited <laughs> to come out for the morning delight. So yeah, you're going to hear that in the background. The other thing is, uh, it's a small space. You know, it, it used to be, um, from what I gather from the locals, it used to be a hamburger spot, and then it was a flower shop, and then it was a brewery. So if you can imagine, you know, trying to trying to fit a, a full-scale brewery, putting out as much as Toppling Goliath is doing in a former hamburger slash flower shop, it, it's quite a challenge. And it was quite a challenge to to get this interview, to even get it set up. Big thanks go out to Sarah Headland, uh, the, the graphic designer and apparently interview scheduler for <laughs> Toppling Goliath. A lot of people wear a lot of different hats. You know, they, they have a small workforce, but they're completely dedicated to, to this event and to this brewery and it was it was really a thing to see it was a it was a sight you know it's amazing that they still have such a small workforce i mean to me they seem like a larger than life brewery at this point to find out that they're still kind of a hometown brewery is kind of amazing. Well, I'll tell you what, it will be getting bigger. The The new facility that they're moving into, it's big enough that it will be the last facility that they ever move into. Uh, they will never have to grow bigger as far as the actual acreage or you know the square footage of the facility. They'll just have to fill it in with more and more equipment. That's, that's basically their plan at this point. <laughs> it's a, a very dedicated workforce and it will keep getting bigger because people want to be a part of this. This amazing family of brewers i mean i'd say their popularity is a owed to the dedication and you know all the love they put into their beer to gather national attention where people fly in just for beer releases in decora iowa of all places yeah, and it's you know, amazing. and the really fun part about that is, uh, this year will be only their second time at the Great American Beer Festival. So word has gotten out about Toppling Goliath in very unconventional ways. You know, very much word of mouth and you know, small distribution, and people just find out it, it gets around when you make amazing beer, uh, whether it be amazing double IPAs or amazing stouts or amazing barrel aged stouts. Word gets around, and people are flocking to Decor, Iowa. They're flocking to Northeastern. Iowa. All right, well, let's keep the uh, tasting going. Working on the last one here. What do we got, Alex? So this one is the uh, Sosis. Uh, this is actually the blue label Sosis. Um, so for our promotional video for this uh, for this episode, we did the red label. Very similar. Uh, they're both single hop, mosaic hopped beers. Are you guys tasting any difference in the blue label compared to the red label? Uh, I am not. Uh, this is uh, definitely a lot of mosaic coming through. Uh, I think it's just label art. I think it's the definitely a showcase of the mosaic hop. Who knows? Maybe it was just the artwork change. I really can't tell the difference at all. Pretty much. I mean, if you're not a fan of the mosaic hop, I mean, this could be your siren song to lure you in. It's a beautifully made beer, and it's absolutely delicious. Yeah, it really does showcase that mosaic. And uh, it, the label work actually has something to do with that mosaic. You know, the, the mosaic artwork. Uh, it's a fantastic beer. It's not quite as big as that Super Sumo. It's not quite as big as the, the King Sue or those kind of beers. Beers, but super super passion fruits tropical i mean the the tropical flavors that are wafting off of this thing are just incredible also this beer is a lot more accessible too like you're more likely to find this at your local craft beer store than you are at king sue or definitely much more than you will find at super sumo right i mean it depends we get we were blessed to get in the wisconsin market toppling goliath earlier than the rest of the nation i mean that super sumo right now is i mean people are trading that all over the country for you know treehouse trillium they're sending those out 
out, you know, out east, and we're we're getting that beer back in Wisconsin. So it's, to us, it's it's one thing, but to the rest of the country, because they only distribute, I think, in three states right now. They just started in Illinois. Illinois, I think, hasn't even started getting the bombers yet. That's true, um, and not to harp on the point, but uh, it needs to be said again: find these fresh. You want to find these yep. beers fresh. It, it, they're at their absolute peak within the first couple of weeks, and it's not to say that they're a bad beer after that, but there is a difference. There is a difference to the the beer that the brewer intended you to try, which is best tried within the first couple of weeks. And there's the beer that you could try four months later, but it's going to be a little bit different. Yeah, because it, there is some oxidation that occurs, and oxygen is not hops friend by any means. So you want to get these guys and drink them as soon as you can. Gotta love these big fruity IPAs. So I, I think that's going to do it for us here. We're almost out of the Sosis, and uh, looks like we're almost out of beer, guys. So for a very, very special episode for the Tap Takeover podcast, thank you again to Mike Sabo and Clark Louie for sitting down with us. What an amazing experience you guys gave out in Decorah, Iowa, at the Morning Delight release party. Let's have a, a nice cheers for Toppling Goliath here, boys. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. This has been a solid, non-fail production. Oh,